Welcome to the Only at Craig podcast. I'm Tyler Smith, your host and Craig Hospital's media production specialist. On this podcast, we share interesting, sometimes unbelievable, and often humorous stories about the history and culture of Craig. Today, we are joined by two remarkable individuals. First, we have a real estate icon, Dave Linegar. 50 years ago, he launched the start of his real estate empire by founding Remax. And alongside him is an incredible physical therapist from Craig Hospital, Stephanie Beinecke whose dedication to transforming lives is nothing short of inspiring. Stephanie was Dave's physical therapist when he came through the doors here at Craig as a spinal cord injury patient. A big only at Craig welcome to both of them. It's well documented that you went to uh, Craig Hospital. Can you just tell us how you came about being a patient here at Craig Hospital? Uh, That is a long story. (laughs) My wife, Gail, was my first employee at Remax. So Gail and I, about almost 10 years in, started dating. Then we had decided we'd get married, and we'd set a date a week before the marriage. Uh, we took a private plane up to Canada for a Remax convention, and we also had our instructor pilot with us. Uh, one of the franchisees wanted to take Gail for a seaplane ride, and she'd never been in one before, so four of them got in the seaplane, and they took off. And I could tell when they were trying to take off that they were too heavy. And I told them when they shut the doors, I said, do a weights and balance. You know, you got three big men in this plane. And they made it off, and then I didn't come back. Mm. So called the police and said, I'm calling about the airplane accident. And I said, ambulance is on their way, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, she had a traumatic brain injury was in a coma for several months. The weather was so bad we couldn't do flight for life. We were about 120 miles away from Toronto. Got her into Sunnybrook, which is a trauma center. Mm. Had my staff in Denver said, let's uh, find the best hospital we can for a TBI. And they kept coming back and saying the best one's Craig. Argued a bit with them because I was thinking, they're just trying to get me back in my own home and take care of me as much as taking care of Gail. And I said, no. Absolutely want the best. And they said, it is. Trust us, Dave. I was rather taken back. Here's all these people in jeans and sweatshirts and <laughs> sitting on the floor. And we'd been in intensive care for eight weeks. Not sure about this. It's so casual. <laughs> Very drastic change. <laughs> yes. yeah. But uh, it was an outstanding move. We found the care was awesome. Gail had a great attitude. She's never quit anything in her life, Mm -hmm. but she did uh, several months there. We finally got her out, and then she did continuing therapy probably for almost another year. And so that was our first introduction to Craig, and we started getting a little bit involved with it. And so the rest of the story is uh, 30-some years later, uh, I was suffering some extreme back pain. I had a great back surgeon and said, I'm not going to cut you until I have to. So we were giving me shots in my spine. I was getting ready to go on a speaking tour. I told my secretary at the time, I said, uh, better call my back doctor. I think it's time. Ended up in Galveston, Texas, about 1,500 agents. And I went to bed that night and I could hardly walk. Got in bed and I thought, nah. I unlocked my door, the latch for safety and stuff. And I went to sleep. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, I woke up paralyzed from the waist down. I hurt like a son of a gun, and I texted a couple of my officers and said, 
I need to go to the hospital. When you wake up, come find me. And at 7 o'clock, three of them come rushing in the room. And I said, give me an ambulance. I can't move. And I said, I don't want the employees to see me like this. So the EMTs brought it in through the kitchen and put me on a board and talk about extraordinary pain. And then I finally got a corporate plane to and pick me up. I just couldn't get comfortable. Mm-hmm. They got me into the hospital at Sky Ridge and uh, sent me up to the private room. And I thought, okay, this week I'm going to get operated on, be back to work in a week. I went into toxic shock or something, and all my organs shut down in less than an hour. And they had me in ICU and uh, every tube in the world hooked into me. And yeah. I went to sleep. They've discovered three or four days later that I had MRSA which is a type of a staph infection that is very common in aging Vietnam veterans because of Agent Orange. I was critical, Sky Ridge. All eight doctors said, put me in hospice. My wife and friend said no. Then I flatlined on Valentine's Day, so two weeks in, and uh, chest compressions and all that stuff. My back doctor got together and they all said, we never operate on somebody that's in a coma, but he's going to die. Mm-hmm. Funny story. My kids are adults, of course, but uh, they said, what happens if he doesn't die? He says, probably be a quadriplegic the rest of his life. And they said, well, why don't you give it a try? And so Rudy was standing there with the kids. The doctor was in his scrubs, and he came in, and he says, any last words? And the kids said, Rudy, what should we do? And Rudy was just, he was gone. He says, I don't know. Mm. And so my daughter says, is he going to be laying on his belly or his back? Said, he'll be on his belly. Would you tattoo Juicy on his belt line (laughs) on his back? (laughs) Your daughter said that. (laughs) That's awesome. The the four kids break (laughs) open laughing. Uh (laughs) Uh, They still kept trying to put me in hospice. And I think Gail approached yeah, Mike Fordyce. The story goes that Mike had a team go and evaluate me, and they came back and said, we can't help him. He's intensive care, and we don't think he'll make it anyway, et cetera, et cetera. He says, okay, bring him to Craig. Mm-hmm. So the first month was, God, unreal. They had me on all kinds of painkillers, and Craig put a, night nurse with me all night long, every night for over a month. Then uh, it was time to start the rehab. Mm-hmm. There'll be some doctors will tell you I was unreasonable. <laughs> There'll be some nurses and therapists will tell you he was gung-ho the whole way. And I said, I asked him, I said, I won't quit. Mm-hmm. I will not quit. But you push me harder than you push anybody. They did. I remember... I do remember that at the beginning when you were, because you were so sick when you first came in. And, and so, you know, I think you feeling trapped is pretty a natural feeling when you can't really move your arms and legs at all. You're just yeah. stuck there and you think somebody else is holding you down. And then it was like every time we came in, we tried to do like a lift transfer with you or something. And you thought that you were being attacked. And I mean, physical therapists are often 
referred to as terrorists, but I mean, you thought you were in the middle of combat. Um, and so I remember that being, you know, something that we had to like work through is just helping you to just figure out where you were and, and, and get a little bit more oriented. And that was a big challenge. But once that cleared, like you did, you worked so hard and you were always ready to go and push yourself to the next level. And you were up for any challenge and like, all right, let's do it. Then when I went home, I was still basically almost virtually a quad. Mm. One of my sons got a Amblo cab of some kind that I could drive my wheelchair on and they would deliver me at 8 a.m. every morning and pick me up at 4.30 every afternoon. And I did that for almost a year. Mm-hmm. At night, me and Junior and a couple of Marine buddies, after Gail would go to sleep, I'd move my wheelchair over to the couch and leave about a foot between them and use my hands that time, stand up, sit down, stand up, sit down, trying to do 100 reps at a time. So I was just determined I was going to walk. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of work. I mean, I remember when your your big goal was to be able to surprise everybody at that REMAX convention and be able to walk across the stage for them. And that was a really, really special moment to be invited to yep. to see and celebrate with you. So looking from when you first got to Craig and you got to meet people like Stephanie, how has your relationship really evolved from back in 2012 to we're sitting here doing a podcast with you both? How, how have your relationship and your bond strengthened or how's it changed over the years? Oh, I don't think it's changed much. That There's a lot of mutual respect. I mean, it's changed a little bit. I mean, I don't get to boss you around in the same way. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I did get Gail to enjoy so that does. for a little while. <laughs> That's right. Passed it back to Gail. It's a, a unique environment. The uh, word compassionate and caring probably is where it's at. It was interesting that one of the therapists that Gail had used in 83 was still at the hospital when I was there hmm. in 2012. It's amazing. There's a lot of longevity yep. at Craig. I can tell you for a fact. That's a long time in one place. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's very impressive. It goes back to that compassion and mm-hmm. uh, just dedication to the uh, what's so special about Craig. For me, I've only been at Craig for a measly two years, a little over That's two it. years. That's it. Yeah. People ask me, it's like, oh, well, what's so special about Craig? It's like, well, it's the people. It's the staff. It's anyone that comes through those doors. That's what makes Craig so special. I think it's such like such a family relationship that's built. Like I think that's just kind of why we've continued to be friends for so long. You know, just going through that whole rehab process together, like going through some really really difficult times of your life, and then kind of progressing through that, and, and then watching you continue to excel after that, and and being able to celebrate your the different successes that you've had since then has been just a, it's amazing. But I do remember. You you guys were always so inviting in your room and, and would you always had I remember you always had snacks in there and like <laughs> I mean with therapists are always a little bit like scavengers anyway and we're coming in and like, Do you have chocolate in your room? <laughs> but but you had snacks in your room and so we took advantage of that every once in a while. Um but it, uh but you became family and I think that's what's so unique about Craig anyway, it's just that all the patient and staff relationships really just come along to being more than um, we're just not indifferent to each other. We become family. And and once you've been at Craig, you're always part of the family. I think that if you go to the hospital for knee surgery and you're gone in a day, 
that you don't remember who the, the nurses were or therapists. And when you're in some place for six months or more, then it becomes pretty obvious. You get two or three shifts a day and seven days a week, and you learn a lot about the people. Yeah. I got to know seven or eight of the nurses and therapists and techs extremely well. I've stayed very close to three or four of them, watched them get married and starting to have children and mm. whatever. It's just, okay, I'm sort of like granddad here a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's a unique person that can work in that kind of a medical environment because some people would burn out. Some people just be pushed away by it. There's others that are able to compartmentalize and it works fine. It is hard. There's, there are so many hard stories, you know, and, and just difficult situations that we that we deal with on a day-to-day basis there. And I think it's like, it's just why it's so encouraging to have people come back and, and to continue to be involved and to update us with your, your life. Like I know it just always encourages my heart whenever I see you or other people who've come back and, and just letting me know like what their successes are. Like I've gone back to school or I've gone back to work or now I'm married. Now I have kids or now I'm doing this for myself. I'm feeding myself now or whatever it is. And, and it just is, it's so encouraging. Those are the times that helps, just helps me to keep going because it is sometimes we just see people for a pocket of time and it, sometimes it's a longer, <laughs> longer season. And um, for others, it's a little shorter season that they're actually at the hospital, but, but it really is motivates me to see how people improve and to be able to rejoice with them over time. So it's been neat. Like, and I think you've, really given back to Craig hospital over and over again in just so many different ways. I remember, um, I remember having, uh, I was telling you this, I think Tyler, um, just the other day, but I remember having a, a patient who was a military guy and had been, had come back from serving overseas and then was in some sort of accident, ended up, um, with a spinal cord injury at Craig Hospital, and he uh, had some other injuries that went along with it. And he really wanted to get back into shooting and how to figure out how to do that again. And I was like, I know a guy who has a, <laughs> a shooting range and, uh, and was able to call you. And, and, just, and it was just such a special time because you had that military experience and background and um and so you were just so um excited to be able to give back to a vet and and so we brought him over and just had the opportunity to use the shooting range and and it was just so encouraging to him and I just to be able to meet you and have that experience and it was yeah it was just it was so fun I just want to say thank you again for that because that was really neat and I know there's been multiple other times that you've given back in just some huge ways but that was just one small way that made a huge impact I have a military and a police background, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of a heart that's special for them. Uh, they do sacrifice a lot. Uh, last year, I heard a great quote. Uh, at the beginning of your life, you can do 10,000 things, and after a spinal cord, maybe you can't do one or 2,000 of those things. So is it, are you going to dwell on the 2,000 things that you can't do, or are you going to focus on the 8,000 things you still can do? I mean, mm-hmm. going pheasant hunting and enjoying life and just not giving up. I mean, that's just what it's all about is that, that uh, perspective. Well, I'm thinking about writing a final book. Mm. Oh, really? I'm doing the last one right now. It's done. It's called The Perfect Ten. And it's acknowledging that uh, if you're an athlete, gymnast, diving board, you dream of coming out of the water, or off the board, and looking and seeing 
seven scorecards that each say 10. And as hard as you try, maybe once or twice in your entire career, that will happen. So how do you make life a perfect 10? Because there's all areas of the life. And if you're so engaged with your business that you throw away your marriage or your kids, that isn't much to speak of. Mm-hmm. In the book, I've outlined that I was dead Valentine's Day the 12th. And the fact that a whole team of people did not give up on me. What did I get this extra 12 years now? And it's pretty remarkable. I've taken Remax public. I built four or five new businesses. I had bought a ranch with about 3,500 acres. Mm-hmm. So you start looking, okay, I can't drive a race car anymore. And I can't pass the physical to drive my jet anymore. And I don't skydive anymore. But when you close those doors, there's other doors that open up to you right. that will fill your life with meaning. One of the big things in my life is helping entrepreneurs start their businesses and making sure they don't make the mistakes I made so they have a little bit easier and ride up the trail. Yeah, that's good. And so at the time when you're hurt, it's kind of frustrating and devastating. But the human spirit is unbelievable. And you adopt to it and you move on. Yeah, I think there's still great joy that can be found, you know, even like as you go through the process of suffering, as you just change your mindset over time, you can still, um, there's still lots more that can be had if you're willing to look for it. Final thought, if I might, I was fortunate to be injured that late in life. I'd been injured many times in the military and so on, but nothing like that. And so I'd had a lifetime of successes and failures and everybody does. And if you can get over the failures, and this too will pass. It'll be a better day tomorrow. Mm-hmm. It gives you that ability to say, when you're hurt, I can do this. I noticed with patients at Craig, the younger they were, those that didn't really have much success in life, it was easier for them to lapse back and say, I don't want to do my therapy. It hurts mm-hmm. too much. Mm-hmm. And yet you got parents and the physical therapist and encouraging saying, you got to do this. you got to use it. What you were saying reminds me of a quote that a former patient wrote. She did this painting and, and she wrote on it, I, I once had full use of my body. I was more paralyzed then. And I just thought like, wow, she's someone with a spinal cord injury, lives with that now. And I just thought that was such a beautiful quote for just, and just stating the freedom that she has found now and the meaning that she has found now because of going through this experience. And I think their life is so much more meaningful for her now because of maybe the relationships that she's developed and now the new ways that she's challenged herself. And so I just thought that was really powerful. So we were reflecting on the fact that you hosted a spark event um, to fundraise for, for Craig hospital. It was just such a really special time. I celebrate what Craig does and, um, and, and give back. And you were just so intentional with the way that you support Craig Hospital, which I've always just been impressed by and blessed by. And I just wanted to ask you, like, what is philanthropic giving in, in relationship to Craig Hospital? What does that mean to you? Well, I talk with a lot of development officers all the time. We get about a thousand personal requests for donations a year, not to mention thousands at Remax. And obviously nobody has unlimited financial resources and unlimited managerial time to take advantage of all the opportunities to help. And I've tried to emphasize to the development officers that do ask for advice that people give to causes they care about. The more that impacts you as a person, 
the more likely it is that you will contribute to that organization. And that in reality, uh, the hospital I was at before Craig was a good hospital. I had no relationship because I don't remember a single person. Mm-hmm. But at Craig, I was involved twice, long periods of time, knowing lots of people and seeing the good that it does. And so it's really up to the people involved with the cause to support it extremely well. This is a human-to-human experience. Yeah. And so, as I said, Craig gave us Gail's life back, and she made, made good use of it. Yeah. You know, 40 years, and she did everything you could do. She even got a hole in one playing golf. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm still waiting on mine, too. <laughs> yeah, my, mine's never going to happen now. <laughs> but uh, you, life is what you make of it. And so, to me, Craig gave me the gift of an extra 10 or 12 years. And I think about all the memories from those 10 or 12 years. And so, people will get in, involved with the cause that they really believe in. Mm-hmm. Gail and I had built a... Uh, a golf course in 1997 it opened. Was that the sanctuary? Yeah, the sanctuary. Okay. Yeah. We didn't want any members and we didn't want it to be public. And so the year that we built it, we kept thinking, what can we do with this thing? And all of a sudden the Remax agents came out of the woodwork and they all do charitable fundraising events. We came up with a list of questions for anybody that wanted to do a tournament, the two of us, and put them into four sets and one was children, one was medical, and one was crises, and one was education. We chose 12, I believe. Off that initial 12, that's now grown to over 30. Wow. Currently, the most Indian raise on a one-day tournament is $450,000. That's amazing. Net. Wow. It's almost 500 organizations have now held tournaments since 97. And they have netted, I'll have to check with Rudy, but it's like $187 million. That's That's incredible. That's so amazing. What a cool way to give back. And it's just such a neat opportunity for so many different organizations. It's one of the very first dates I put on my calendar at the beginning of the year is the uh, Craig Hospital Sanctuary Tournament. I have so much fun meeting your staff there. They're incredibly generous and nice and I, I love being able to uh, come to your property there, and it's it's an incredible day for sure. Yeah, one last question, then we'll just wrap it up. Just any important insight that you want to share with listeners or to staff or patients or just uh, just any words of encouragement from either one of you? I think what comes to mind is just the, the reminder that what you do makes a difference. I think sometimes we're when we're in the moment and we're dealing with the tough things of, one day to the next, there can be a stretch of days or weeks that's a real uh, hardship, a hardship on staff, a hardship on the patient, where um, you're just going through a dark period. But what you're doing carries so much meaning and has so much long-term impact. And it is really beautiful to see people down the road, uh, those incremental gains that happen um, whether it's physically or whether it's emotionally, whether it's you know, situationally circumstances and getting back to home, um, those just add up to be making huge le- impact, life impact on somebody else. And so I think it's easy to lose sight of the fact that we make a difference. I lose sight of that a lot. And then when I come back and see 
a good friend like Dave. And I just feel encouraged again. And I'm reminded like, yeah, this is why I do what I do. And so I think just encouraging staff that you do what you do for a reason and it makes a, it makes a difference. And it, you may not ever truly get to see what type of impact you've had, but you don't ever doubt that you have made that good impact. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember being in one of the machines in the old gym. I watched him bring a young girl in. She's petite. She obviously had been terribly injured. And they were trying to get her to be on an extra cycle with her legs in braces. And she was trying to hold on to a barbell and trying to get her legs to go all the way around 360. Extraordinarily painful for her. And the, I'll cry. Mm. The four women were all young girls. They were smiling and happy. And they're trying to push her harder and harder. And the little girl's tears were coming down her face because it hurt. And it was like four big sisters trying to help the little one. After I was done, I went over and talked to them. And the, one of them had taken the girl away back to her room. And I said, how do you do this? How do you watch somebody in that much pain? You know you're trying to help them but you kept a smile on your face, laughter in the room, and it didn't embarrass her that she was crying. And they said, that's what we do. Mm -hmm. That's what people at Craig do. Incredible. Well, I just want to, on behalf of Craig Hospital, just say how grateful I am for both of you. We are very grateful for everything you've done and grateful for every day you show up and we get to meet these amazing, incredible uh, individuals on staff or anybody that comes through the doors. And it has just been such a pleasure to have this conversation with both of you today. And I, I just want to thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler.